Ben was just saying, sometimes people, even in Buddhist countries, born into families who are Buddhist, um, so they're Buddhist from birth, but still they um, haven't reached the real time where their spiritual practice is starting to flourish. So they might live very close to temples and the teachings and yet not go to the temples, not really listen to the teachings or have practice until um, you know, the time is right, their conditions are right, their own personal life, their spiritual practice, um, the conditions come up so that they become maybe interested or maybe it's a friend or someone else um, or some cause, some reason brings them to the temple, to the monastery to hear the teachings. He said his monastery is in Rayong province, which is about two and a half hours drive from Bangkok. Some of the local people, you know, they'll come to the monastery, obviously, and they only come and say they have friends in Bangkok who have heard of his monastery and want to come and listen to teachings, and they ring their friends up who live very close and say, oh, where's the monastery? And they say, well, I'm not sure. Yeah. And then they have to find out so that they're, so they're not embarrassed by their friends, and then they come with their friends, bring them, and then they say, oh, uh, never knew there was a monastery here, never listened to the teachings before. He said, spiritual practice is like this, sometimes we need a, a, some kind of a cause, some kind of a stimulus for us to start thinking about the spiritual life. And the spiritual life is, you say, finding the Buddha inside. First of all, you have to find the Buddha outside, meaning you have to find the temple, find the teaching. But the purpose of it is to find the Buddha inside, inside our own hearts, our own minds. And that's, that's what we're doing when we practice the Dhamma. Another example of this is, say, this monastery, Buddha Bodhiwana Monastery here, um, before it wasn't here, five years ago this didn't exist. And so many of the people who are coming here now regularly, they perhaps in that, at that time, you can say their karma, their old good karma, that they practiced Buddhism, had faith in Buddhism maybe in previous lives, hadn't yet come to fruition. So they're still not, not going to temples, not that uh, interested because they've got other things on their mind. But then this monastery has come up now over the last five years, so there are many people who come here regularly, listen to the teachings and practice. And you can say karma, yes, the fruit of their past good karma is now coming up and they have a chance they can come and listen to the teachings and they can, as it were, continue on their practice maybe from a past life they were practicing and now oh, can carry on practicing in this life. You could compare the Buddhist teachings, the Dhamma, with say um, what we have here around this monastery, we have the nature of trees and mountains and perhaps in the past, before you knew this place, you didn't realize, oh, there's this place where there's these trees, these mountains, very peaceful, quiet surroundings. When you come here, then you get to know, oh, it's like this, there's these trees, these mountains around here. And the Dhamma is like this. The Dhamma is always there. The truth of reality is always there. It's just often we don't understand it or don't see it or don't know it. And the role of the Buddha is he's one who you can say is discovered or rediscovered the truth that is already there. He revealed it, he understood it through his own practice, the true nature of our existence, and then taught it to us and taught it to people. Uh, the teachings have been preserved, say, in the, in the books, the scriptures, 
Um, but what he was talking about was just what is the, the true nature of reality. And in the most succinct or the shortest way you could say what he's teaching is that all, what we say, all conditioned things uh, arise and then pass away. Because the nature of a conditioned thing is it arises, depends on certain conditions, it arises and then it passes away because those conditions change. Um, that's a very simple teaching but very deep, very profound and it affects all of uh, aspects of our life, of the physical world, the material world uh, and the mental world. And the Buddha said over and over again to really look inwardly to see this truth, look into your own mind and understand it there. Um, it's there all the time but we just have to really learn to see it, observe these truths. Um, just doing what we most people do normally is to always try to find happiness and understand the world through external things through trying to develop the world materially so we uh, develop our countries, our cities, our towns, the economy uh, every aspect of our life we, we develop on the external level, the material level but often we're not looking inwardly to find out about these truths which will help us to bring us true understanding and true peace of mind so this is the purpose of the Buddha as, a, as the teacher of this say a way of getting to understand truth by looking inwards and then it's, it's what you have to do also it's what you have to do in your practice is look at your own heart and get to see the truth, the true nature that is there all the time the, the fact that this body, this mind, they're conditioned things that arise, pass away when, when you can see that, what it does is the effect on the mind is it allows the mind to let go of attachment because if you can see something is impermanent and subject to change then you know, oh, I'll have to let go of it, I'll have to leave it there's no point trying to cling on to something that's impermanent that you can't cling on to um, but you have to first of all see that and understand that before you can really let go of your attachment are there any questions today? Do you ask anyone want to ask anything? The question was about how do we deal with what we call pests, different insects, animals that come into our house or in this case into a restaurant where you have to keep the place clean. Um, and obviously the, the animals, the insects are very stubborn, they want food and they want com comfort so it's quite hard to get rid of them. Uh, Tanajan was advising, well, in some cases you can use prevention, there are different um, things you can buy, chemicals and things to help prevent them coming. If it's a bigger animal like uh, a rat or a mouse, then there are the traps that don't kill them. They're like cages or boxes with a door and then you have some bait inside, they come in and the door closes and you can go and take them away a long way away from where you live out into the bush or the park or something and let them go rather than killing them um, but he also said living in this world we also have to have the understanding that everything is subject to its karma and then little creatures particularly insects say like ants or something uh, there's always going to be a certain amount of, of death around us that it's very difficult to move around and do things in the world without harming um, insects sometimes but this isn't harming deliberate harming this is just you know the accidental and the um, unavoidable say squashing of insects when you drive a car you often you get insects squashed onto your windscreen or you light a candle at night 
bugs will fly to it and burn and die. Your, your intention is not to kill, but it's the way of the world that there'll be some of this going on and to re- recognize that, not, a, not take it, um, as a personal f- failing or as a, you know, it's, it, you're making some bad karma if an act, different insects are getting squashed or hurt in that way. As far as keeping your place clean though, you try your best to keep it clean and say so you're sweeping uh, or you're cleaning and maybe sometimes a few small bugs die because they get caught up and even then you can see your, your intention isn't to kill, your intention is just cleaning and sometimes it's just unfortunate some of the bugs get hurt. But that's different from actually going out with poisons and baits and things and actually trying to deliberately kill them, then you would you say making bad karma or, or breaking the first precept. So you're trying to get that understanding clear in your mind and then just try and find a skillful way um, to deal with, with, with the, the pests without killing them. Practicing with the first precept, we, uh, we establish that clear intention in the mind that we're not going to kill other people, other animals, other beings. Um, and generally with anything fairly large or going down to say the levels of a rat or something, you can you can do that, you can find ways to deal with the problems without having to kill. Um, with the very small creatures, say insects and things, then you just have to do the best you can in the situation you find yourself in, what is appropriate. And uh, you can still have that basic intention that you're not trying to kill or deliberately kill things, but if in the course of cleaning your restaurant or cleaning up some bugs are, are harmed, then you might have to accept, well, that's their karma because you can't, it's very difficult to you know, work around every, like, every ant, every bug, um, because they often so many and there might be some that get harmed, but you know, just, you just do the best you can in the situation you find yourself. Any other question? The question was, um, personal history and living with Lumpur Chara, our teacher. He said he spent his first four years um, at Wat Nongbapong, the monastery where Lumpur Chara lived and taught and was very close to Lumpur Chara. And the following few years, that was started, he ordained in 1976. And then uh, after four years, he spent some time in other monasteries, there's one on the edge of Bangkok, the land, there's some land that's offered, but he would still be coming back and forth to see and be close to Lumpur Chan was still very much under his guidance. Then in 1983, Lumpur Chan fell ill. That's about the time that Janan travelled to Rayong, where he lives now, um, in the, the style we call two dogs, wandering actually without a fixed destination, just wandering with a few personal possessions and camping in the forest and the, the monastery he lives at now began just like that, just to be invited by some farmers to camp in a forest where they offered food and there was water to bathe, living very simply the first few months and then they said well please stay on and they started building a few huts and the monastery started that way in about 1984 and he's been there ever since, he's been there 23 years. Lumpur um, Chao was very ill from 1983 till 1992, uh, 91, 92 when he died. 
for that last period, although he's living in Rayon where he lives now, he was still commuting back to the monastery regularly many times a year to help nurse from Bhutan visit him uh, until he died. Uh, but he's been in the monastery is now, where he's now 23 years and it's now very well established, many buildings and very well known. The question was um, asking Tanajan to talk a little bit about the way Lumpur Cha taught. So Tanajan said that Lumpur Cha was a very um, diligent teacher. He'd be teaching people every day and generally getting them to find ways and finding skillful means by which to help them to get them to let go of their moods of stress and suffering that they all normally would have and get caught into. Um, and this he did by getting them to let go, let go of their attachments in different ways. And that you could say that was the flavour of his teaching, getting people to let go and let go on every level, so on the level of sila, letting go of the things that led them to break precepts, make bad karma, let go on the level of samadhi, let go of their own inner thoughts and distractions, worries, different moods, and then on the level of uh, wisdom as well, getting them to see the very impermanent nature of all our thoughts and moods that we normally take as a self and say, oh, I'm stressed, I'm angry, I'm depressed, all the different kinds of stress, getting them to see those are actually conditions of mind that when we see that they're impermanent conditions of mind then we're able to let them go, not attached to them so much. And some of the different stories he mentioned say maybe somebody uh, would come to Lumpur Cha and they maybe say, oh I'm very stressed trying to look after my children, my children are really stubborn, giving me a lot of trouble and Lumpur Cha just said, well who wanted the children? Whose, whose decision was it was to have the children and they sort of stop saying oh yeah. and then he said so maybe you know we'll give it it's them 50% but maybe you have to take 50% of the blame as well and so people not only get um, maybe a laugh out of it but they also realise oh, maybe that some of the stress that we build up in our mind you know it's not all what we think it is it's not all their fault or this fault you know, sometimes it's just our own attachments and clinging that is the cause of the stress. Or say in teaching precepts, say most of the villagers around Rupacha they had to go and find their food every day. They grow rice but they also have to hunt and gather and a lot of them are, are catching fish, frogs, different animals for their meals. But every day Ajahn Chah will be teaching or don't kill. And obviously in the monastery they sort of smile and say yes and then they go home and they have to find their food so they have to go out and kill. But because he kept teaching in different ways every day over many years, I mean, some people they would start to change, they start to think maybe it's not the best way, the best thing to kill. So he's just giving an example of one man who would catch frogs every day um, for his meal and you know, he brings them back and you have to break their legs and then do different things to them and then cook them. Um, but after a while he, he thought, mm, I can't do this, but he had a wife and kids and they've got to eat, so he'd bring a, his bucket of frogs and, and, and things back from the fields and he'd just leave it on the table and walk away and his wife was like, hmm, why isn't he helping do the food today? And get a bit upset, but he was just throwing, I'm not going to do anything more, and just leave his bucket there, so she'd have to do it. Then later on, He'd leave the bucket on the table and sort of after a, a few more weeks, months of hearing Dhamma talks and thinking about it, then later on 
when she wasn't around, he'd, he'd leave the bucket there, when she wasn't around, he'd actually take the bucket, let them all go again. <laughs> didn't want them to die, he didn't even want her to kill them. So, then the wife, oh, what are we going to eat? You're going to keep the five precepts now, we're all going to starve. But, you know, if, you, if you're firm, then you, you, you start to find other ways you can eat. You can buy food, you can do other things. So, little by little, he could affect people who even, you know, maybe had to kill for their living and get them to change that. Or if it was people trading, and business people or in trade, say like there's a pig farmer. The pig farmer would come to Lumpacha and say, oh, it's terrible, the economy's terrible, the price of pork, you know, it's going down, I'm not getting as much profit as I used to. And uh, Lumpacha would just say, well, I don't see the pigs complaining, and I never see them arguing about the price of their meat, and who are the ones who are giving up their lives to provide this meat? And so the man's like, oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. At least I might get less profit, but at least I'm better off than the pigs. <laughs> Just giving them simple reflections like that to let go of any the things that would cause them stress, and to see that, you know, there's always a different way of looking at things, and there's, there's different ways you can look at life to let go of your attachments so that you can bring your mind to more peace. You can say that even though Lumpo Chai himself is, is dead now, um, his teachings and he himself live on through his teachings. We can still be, a, you can say, a student of Lumpo Chai because we can read the books, listen to the talks on tapes and meet his other disciples who are kind of living lineage that comes from him. So it's still possible to practice and make and receive benefit from the things that he was teaching. Uh, just as the same as the Buddha, even though the, the Buddha, the, in the physical Buddha, the, the, the flesh and blood Buddha is dead now, long ago, but Buddhism and the Buddha live on in the teachings and we can practice them any day and when we are practicing them then we are as if seeing the Buddha. When there's a famous teaching, you see the Dhamma, you see the Buddha, you see the Buddha, you see the Dhamma. And in general, just talking about the powerful effects of Rumpo Chao's teachings that People can uh, remember particular talks he give, gave and often to people who are sick or elderly and it could have a really revitalizing effect on them. One of the most um, amazing stories Sanajan just said was there's one man who, uh, whose son used to come to the, his monastery in Rayon and he's an elderly man who is pretty much paralyzed in bedridden for 10 years, couldn't walk and couldn't really speak and do anything for himself. He was totally dependent on his family to look after him. And then his son got a um, copy of a very famous talk Ajahn Chah gave to another person who was very sick called Our Real Home, which we have copies of here, and just played it to him as far as lying in bed, just played it to him on the tape for many days, just over and over again. And then just out of the blue one day, his father just sat up and um, started to talk and could move his limbs. And they say, you know, if he has in an unrated joke, if it happened in the, at the night, his family probably all thought he was a ghost. But it <laughs> happened in the day and he could suddenly he could talk and move around just like a normal person. And this is the result of the good karma of listening to the Dharma and the effect on the mind bringing up these positive mind states, positive thoughts. Um, and he was fine for nine days and then he lay down again and he died. So, but at least for the nine last days of his life he actually was like a normal person. Um, 
and this is the oh sorry and that when in those nine days he rec- recalled that the day the night before he got out and could start speaking and moving around again he had a a vision of Ajahn Chah coming at that time Ajahn Chah wasn't anywhere nearby he was in Ubon but Ajahn had a vision of Ajahn Chah coming with many many monks and he had this great sense of joy arise in his heart and it's that sense of joy and the happiness of the Dharma, hearing the Dharma, uh, contemplating the Dharma that, that changed everything, changed his state of mind and that affected his health as well. He could actually sit up and walk around. And the general was just talking a bit more about India, saying that one of the things you learn when you go to India, you see a very old ancient civilization that hasn't changed much. The beliefs, the faith of the people, and majority are Hindus. And so, you know, there's some some of their beliefs are quite practical and some of their practices say like when people die in India they don't spend a lot of money on lavish funerals they just get whatever uh, wood and things they have that they can make a fire with and they burn the person and they float them off onto the Ganges river so that they can they say they go off to to meet God that way very simple um, Maybe the belief is incorrect that they'll, they'll go off to meet God, but um, the, the actual practice is a very practical one. So probably those beliefs, you know, whatever you say now to them, they're not going to change those beliefs. They're very firm in their different beliefs, saying God and the Hindu system, they're, they're very fixed in that. It'll probably be, only be the next Buddha who comes along to India and would, would um, be able to uh, teach them and give them faith in the Buddhist path. Um, but still there's a lot of good things you can see there when you go to say Varanasi where um, the Buddha gave his first sermon and you stop there and you see that the the city hasn't changed for 2,500 years it's still got the same name as the time of the Buddha Um, the people are much the same you can't open people want to open big supermarkets and department stores so they can't do it because people don't want to change they're not interested in accepting sort of more Western, modern, modern things. Um, well, oh, he's just talking about the um, the growth of Buddhism, saying how Buddhism does the teachings don't really stay still. If you think about it historically, you look at um, how Buddhism, say particularly in the time of Emperor Asoka, a few hundred years after the Buddha's death. Um, put a lot of effort into sending uh, Buddhist monks uh, out and supporting the religion both in India, spreading around India and to Sri Lanka and then later on it spread across to Burma and Thailand and that's the way Buddhism has been, it's often been expanding to new horizons, new cultures and being um, taken on by those cultures and now look, you see Ajahn Chah, the effect of Ajahn Chah's teachings he himself travelled to England and now Buddhism is very strong there, there's many monasteries, a lot of interest um, and many of Ajahn Chah's disciples travelled to um, Australia so now there's more monasteries starting in Australia and it's quite possible in the future to keep expanding all around Australia maybe one day Australia will be a Buddhist country, you don't know <laughs> um, but that's the way Buddhism is isn't it, you look, India, it's, it's faded from India now but countries that weren't originally Buddhist like Sri Lanka, Burma, Thailand have become Buddhist countries. Maybe one day it will fade from Asia, you don't know. And maybe 
Australia, England and other countries will be Buddhist countries. Um, one should contemplate like this to see it, the impermanence of things. Which is your success in your families, your business, your studies, everything. Good fortune.